We're in John chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 17. But the first eight verses of John, or chapter 15 of John, Jesus uses the illustration of grapevine and a grapevine to illustrate how God and how Jesus relate to their disciples. He did that for the disciples then, and he does it for us today. And Jesus says, you've got to abide in me if you want to bear fruit, and it's my desires that you bear fruit. And apart from abiding, we can get caught uh, serving God for the wrong reasons. We're to bear fruit, fruit that remains. Uh, And apart from him, all our behavior really is futile. So what is it to bear fruit? Well, you got to lay aside your own ego. You got to be part of God's kingdom. You got to lay aside your personal agenda. And Jesus says you got to serve one another. Jesus taught his disciples how to love and how to serve. And one of the things he did for them in serving was he washed their feet. Now, this was the lowest duty of the lowest servant in your household, got the duty of washing feet. But he comes to Peter as he's washing feet, and Peter says, well, sorry, but you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash your feet, then you don't have any part with me. Peter changes his tune, then wash all of me. No, that's not necessary, Petey. Peter, to wash all of your body. Just wash your feet and you'll be clean. And then Jesus, he told all of the disciples, you got to serve each other, one another, in the way that I just served you. Now, I believe the disciples would have washed Jesus' feet But they don't offer to. There's no offer to wash his feet. And they're for sure not about to wash one another's feet because they've just argued among themselves who's the greatest. And to wash the feet would mean you're greater than I am. The disciples object to Jesus washing their feet. But it doesn't put them into the position. It doesn't translate into them washing each other's feet. It seems like it's a hard lesson for us to learn to serve. And I hesitate telling you about this example because it's about me. Recently, we had three Mexican construction workers deliver a a metal garage to our place on the farm to erect this metal building. Well, they work all day, night comes, 
And they asked me, hey, where is a motel that we can stay in? Well, I direct them over to Ardmore, but I tell them, if you have any difficulties with the, with the hotel or motel, come on back to our house. We have an upstairs with bedrooms in it, and we can put you up. Well, they leave, but they did come back. <laughs> and Lori and I did the best we could to make them feel welcome. They all take a shower, and they get it all cleaned up, but come to find out, they went away, but they didn't have dinner. So about 9 o'clock at night, I find out they haven't eaten. So Lori throws a pizza in the oven, and it bakes, and we end up feeding them their evening meal. Next morning, they're out there bright and early. Lori's off to work, and they're erecting this metal garage. Then the lead man of these three, he lets me know, they're hungry. Okay. <laughs> so off to McDonald's I go, three sausage and egg biscuits and three, uh, you know, little egg McMuffins and whatever. And, uh, and I'm relating this story to a friend. I'm telling a friend about, uh, yeah, I put up the guys at my house. And he said, hey, they're taking advantage of you. And I said, perhaps, you know, that might be. But, you know, whenever you serve someone, you run the risk of being used by them. But you know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, you will be happy if you do what I have just done for you. You'll be happy. And it did bring Lori and myself joy to serve these workers who were serving us by putting up this building. But here's the good thing. It's a good thing I had just taught about Jesus washing feet, or maybe that wouldn't have been so paramount in my mind. But it's good when we find ourselves fulfilling the Word of God. It's good when we catch ourselves living out God's Word. But Jesus continues his illustration on how we are the branches of the vine and we cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus and his Father. And then Jesus gives, gives a promise. He said, abide in me and you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, Asking for my desires requires that I get rid of my selfish attitude. <laughs> so the asking for desires requires me to check my motives. Now, I hope I understand God's goodness and mercies and, and that he's leading and guiding me. And... I hope I understand he's wanting to give me godly desires. But that is left off in verse 8. And Jesus now will continue his what we call the upper room discourse. So 
We will read verses 9 through 17 of John 15. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be may remain in you and that you may be full. Your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus has been very pointed, very deliberate in the way he loved his disciples and he demonstrating to them, showing them how to love one another and how to serve one another. Jesus was very protective of his disciples. Many times the Pharisees would ask questions pointed at the disciples and Jesus would answer. He, there was times when Jesus didn't allow his disciples to answer the Pharisees. But Jesus led and guided his disciples. Jesus sacrificially served his disciples. Jesus is following the pattern of love shown to him by his own Father God. Jesus demonstrates a father's love. Now, in our world, in our society, we tend to find examples of motherly love as the ultimate love. But Jesus speaks of the love of a father. A love that had no beginning or end. A love up close and personal. A love with no limitations. And therefore, or as Jesus would say, most assuredly, we are to abide in the love of Jesus. And how do we abide? By being obedient to his words. He says, if you love me, you'll be obedient. Verse 12, Jesus' commandment is that we love one another as he loves us. Then Jesus tells of the greatest love, and that is to lay down one's life for his friends. The disciples, just like you and I, we are friends of Jesus. Don't answer out loud, but how many close friends do you have? There's a country western song that speaks about 
a good friend. A good friend is one when it's late at night and you run your car in a ditch, who will you call? You'll call that good friend. You'll call a close friend. What if you have a medical emergency? Who do you call to watch your kids as you take your uh, wife or whoever to the emergency room? You call a close friend. In time of need, whatever the circumstance, you call close friends. And Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants. But I call you friends. Think that through for a moment. If you have one or two close friends in life, you're blessed. Just one or two. I'm amazed at when I witness the love and friendship being demonstrated by someone giving their life for a friend. A soldier giving his life for his country. A parent's love for their child. Jesus sums this up by telling his disciples, you are my friends. Therefore, do what I command you. You want to show your love and appreciation of Jesus? Obey him. As disciples, we're not servants, but friends. Jesus, he declares, I have made known to you all my father's desires and plans for you. As believers, being disciples, we have the greatest call of love upon our lives. What is that sound? <laughs> There's a sound up here. <laughs> uh, one of the most asked questions we hear, or I hear as a pastor, is what is God's will for me? Well, we're to love one another. It stopped, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, what is God's will for me and my life? And we want a plan laid out, you know, for what we're supposed to do. But keep it real simple. We're to love one another in a selfless, sacrificial way. That's his will for us. Now, we've all seen and heard what the world asks. And the world asks this, what do I get out of this? What benefit is in it for me? That's the world. We're not to be like the world. God's love and our love is not to consider self-interest. Because the moment we enter into self-interest, we're no longer loving like God wants us to love. But Jesus tells them, love one another. Then he says, 
You didn't choose me, by the way. I chose you. And I appointed each of you to bear fruit, fruit that remains. Now, when we begin to get a hold of that, when we begin to grasp that we're to bear fruit, fruit that remains, we're beginning to grasp the truth of Jesus. We're chosen by Jesus. You were selected, chosen. And we find ourselves as his friends because he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Ask the Father in my name to give you the desires that I have planted in you. You have the desires? Sometimes we need to take inventory of our heart. What are our passions? What, what drives me? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Perhaps you see children that are abused, maybe hungry children, and something cries out within you. Some way, somehow, bring them relief. Maybe you're troubled by unsaved friends or relatives. And you realize that their destiny is to be eternally separated from God if they don't turn to him. That's the heart of an evangelist. You have a desire that people be saved. We have one ministry here at church that we donate to on a regular basis, and it used to be called Choose Life, Save a Life, but now it's Huntsville Pregnancy Resource Center. I like Choose Life, Save a Life, but anyway. And they counsel pregnant women to have their baby. And this organization saves lives, and we're glad to be part of that. So maybe the aborting of a baby breaks your heart. Allow that passion to take root and do something in your life about it. Maybe God has given you musical talents. And along with those talents, he's given you a desire to worship God with these talents. A couple years ago, Jason <laughs> had no idea he would be worship leader, but God gave him a desire to do it, and we get to see that come about. Perhaps you have a gift of hospitality, and I think we're a friendly little congregation, and we have people that uh, want to make you feel wanted and comfortable. That is a gift. That is a desire from God that he fulfills in our life. Many times, the expression of godly desires is accompanied with gifts of the Holy Spirit in that area. As friends of Jesus, we are to have the heart and compassion of Jesus. And perhaps, 
or maybe you're just drifting along in your friendship with Jesus and you haven't really thought about being led in desires, having godly desires, then ask Jesus to direct your heart, to direct your steps. Ask you, ask him to give you his desires for humanity. And he will begin a work in you that will bring joy to your life. He will give your life meaning. And that begins with loving one another and fulfilling the command of Jesus to love one another. So doing the will of God gets to be real simple and real straightforward. Not a lot of mysteries there. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.